Thank you for downloading our podcast. Please be edified through this sermon from our pulpit supply while Pastor Paul Lindemulder enjoys a week off. Has anybody cried on a birthday? Birthdays can be a really good time to remember that your friends love you, or at least love you enough to come eat cake with you at least once a year. Birthdays can be a time of joyful celebration that you've made a high score on life. But birthdays can also be a fixed date on the calendar to remember that you're hurtling toward death. They can be a time where the reality of life is sinking in, that you're another year older, that you've made it around the sun again. Our text this evening is meant one is many things. It's one of the oldest psalms in the Psalter. It is possibly the oldest psalm of Christ's church. This psalm is the first psalm of the fourth book of the Psalms, which is a book about the transcendence of God, the idea that God's up there and yet he comes to live and work in his people. This psalm is the only psalm in the Psalter attributed to Moses. We sang his song in Exodus, or we read the song he sang in Exodus, but this is the only psalm he has in the Psalter. But even though our psalm tonight is many things, the most pastoral thing that our psalm tonight is, is it's a psalm for people who cry on birthdays. It's a psalm for people who cry on birthdays because it's a psalm about how Yahweh is faithful to his people even as we hurtle toward old age and death. This psalm is a psalm written by the man Yahweh used to write Genesis, and it's a psalm about how the God of Genesis saves us from Genesis, the heart of Yahweh, the God who saves his people from Genesis. This psalm is really a miniature version of the whole uh, historical drama of redemption. It's the story of Yahweh who's faithful to his people and redeems us from himself by giving us himself. It's the story of his consistent faithfulness to people who deserve his wrath. So it's the story of how Yahweh reveals himself in blessing, not only in, but through the story of the fall in Genesis. And so as we go through the psalm tonight, we'll look at it under this theme. Yahweh is the God of Genesis who saves us from Genesis. Yahweh is the God of Genesis who saves us from Genesis. Yahweh is the permanent God who saves his impermanent people. And he's the always God who brings his people out of dying and into forever. But as we look at this text, we'll see most clearly that Yahweh is the God of redemptive history who changes the story of our history from tragedy into comedy. What's the difference between a tragedy and a comedy? Well, it's not the beginning. Both a tragedy and a comedy on the stage start happy. And as you get to the middle, uh, they both get sad. A tragedy gets sad and a comedy gets sad. But the difference between a tragedy and a comedy is the ending. A tragedy starts happy, gets sad, and sadder. A comedy starts happy, gets sad, ends happier. And Yahweh is the God who changes the story from tragedy into comedy because he changes the end of the story for us. He's the God of Genesis who saves us from Genesis through Genesis. We'll look at that in three points tonight. First, the comfort of knowing the everlasting God. Secondly, the everlasting wrath of the everlasting God. And finally, everlasting salvation from the everlasting God. The comfort of knowing the everlasting God the everlasting wrath of the everlasting God, 
and the everlasting salvation of the everlasting God. So point one, first, the comfort of knowing the everlasting God. Our text tonight actually starts with the punchline. He gives away the message and the solution before it even tells us the problem. Verses 1 and 2 give away the theme. They start with the comfort. Lord, you've been our dwelling place through all generations. This is the theme of Moses' praise, that Yahweh is the God who lives forever and reigns forever. And he's not only willing, he is able to protect us. He's able to be our God, to show mercy to thousands of those who love him. Yahweh can be the generational God because he doesn't have generations. Human survival is dependent on generations. Human survival is survival through procreation. We live on through our children. We live on through those who remember us. There's that old Arab saying adopted by the rangers that goes something like there are two times a man dies. The first time is when you actually plots, and then the second time is when the last person who speaks or who knew you speaks your name. Human survival depends on generations. It depends on people remembering you. But Yahweh doesn't need descendants. He's the God of generations because he doesn't need them. He just is. That's his name. I am. He's the permanent God who existed before the mountains because he made the earth and the world. He is able to show mercy to thousands of those who love him and to be our generation, our generational dwelling place because he's the one who lives and reigns forever. And not only does he live and reign forever, he's our dwelling place forever. And that's an important line giving, given the context of this psalm. Remember, this is a psalm of Moses. This is a psalm of Moses in the wilderness. And Moses writes this psalm in the context of wandering in the wilderness. It's a psalm of God's homeless church. They've left Egypt, but they're not yet in the promised land. And as they're trudging through relentless heat, as they're sleeping in tents, and there's probably wild beasts all around, and I wouldn't want to be too close to lions, and they don't have ten mills, Yahweh reveals the truth that He's our true permanent home. He's our safety. He's our dwelling place. Yahweh is our true rest, our true protection, our true dwelling place. And until we're home in the promised land, this psalm is our psalm too, because it's the psalm of God's homeless church headed for new creation. It's the cry of tent-dwelling wilderness wanderers headed toward the promised land. But the comfort of this cry is that you and I belong to God forever. You and I belong and that means he's our constant, consistent comfort. Because as we wither and waste away a little bit more every day, he's the one who promises we'll live with him forever because we belong to him forever. So as the songs you listen to in high school go on the oldies station, which has happened to me, unfortunately, and it's kind of sad because the music from my high school and middle school day was Justin Bieber, so I never thought I'd hear it on the 80s station. But... As the person in the mirror looks back at you with a face that's wrinkly and you don't recognize it, as you march every day a little closer to your death, Yahweh promises you he's your dwelling place. You are headed for life with him. You're headed for home. That's the trajectory. That's the ending, the comedy. That's the everlasting comfort of knowing the everlasting God. But that brings us to point two, the everlasting wrath of the everlasting God. In verse three, the theme of the psalm stays the same. 
but the tone shifts. It's like whiplash. Verses 1 and 2 are this beautiful promise of knowing God and the comfort and joy of belonging to Him and, and knowing that He's your everlasting home. And then verse 3 is comfort to condemnation. It's a complete change of tone. Verse 3 shifts from the wonders of Yahweh's grace to the fallout of the fall. It takes us from the comfort of knowing the everlasting God to the sorrow of this fleeting life, from the blessing of life everlasting with God to the curse of His everlasting wrath against sin. Verse 3 tells us Yahweh is the everlasting God who actively makes it so that we don't live forever. Verse 3, you, you return man to dust, saying, return, O children of man. And that's a good translation, but it misses some of the flavor here. The first word for dust here has the idea of something utterly destroyed. It's the idea of pulverized powder. It's the remnants of a completely burned down city. But the second word here is a word about what we're made of. So a better translation that we could propose is this. You return man to pulverized powder, saying, Return, O sons of Adam. This verse is taking us back to the curse. This verse takes us to all the sorrows of Genesis 3. This is the human author of Genesis crying out to the divine author of Genesis about the curse of Genesis. Verse 3 tells us that when we die, this is more than nature running its curse, running its course. This is more than nature running its course. It's the hand of Almighty God making war on humankind. It's justice and truth. You are dust. I'll return you to dust. He's keeping his promise. This is the everlasting creator God keeping his promise to creature Adam dying. You will die because he ate what I assume was a pomegranate. This is the God who breathed life into the man of dust. He made him a living soul, and now he's taking his breath away. Verse 3 takes us from the comfort of knowing the eternal God to the fear of the eternal God's eternal wrath against sin. And that's what makes verse 4 so scary. Verse 4 is full of dread because the everlasting God counts 10 lifetimes like it was last night. It happened a couple hours ago. It's nothing to him. This is the God outside of time who has all the time in the universe to pour out his wrath on every sinner that has ever lived. He'll outlive everybody and he'll turn them all to dust. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. Moses knows a little bit about Yahweh's wrath like a flood, right? I think he wrote about one of those somewhere. Genesis 7, I will send rain on the earth 40 days, 40 nights. Every living thing that I have made, I'll blot out from the face of the ground. This is the raging flood-like wrath of the Creator, God against sin. His, his anger burns, it floods, it overwhelms sinful creatures. They're like a dream. They're like grass that's renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. And again, a helpful point is Moses is not thinking about the lawn outside church. It, it can't stop growing even when snow's over top of it. It's green no matter what. He's not thinking about that stuff that you can't, that you have to cut all the time to keep from growing. He's thinking about the Arabian Desert. I've never been to the Middle East, but I've heard that in the Middle East, the Sirocco winds make it pretty hot. In fact, 
One guy at our church was in Iraq for a while, and he said it was like having an oven opened on your face over and over and over again, 130 degrees blowing at you constantly. The grass Moses is talking about is puny desert weeds, the kind that grow up in the night just to die during the day. And that's our pitiful state. That's our state in Adam. That's our sin and misery. And as Moses sees the children of Israel reenacting the tragedy of Adam, remember, uh, remember where he is. He's in the wilderness. He's watching the wilderness generation over and over give their ear to the word of the devil and grumble and complain and rebel. And as Moses is seeing them act like Adam, listening to the devil, obeying the devil, and as he sees Yahweh swearing in his wrath, you will not enter my rest, Moses is seeing Adam again. He's seeing the generation in the wilderness dying in the wilderness and dying outside the promised land. And as he sees that, he sees Adam, the great tragedy of the fall. He sees God, the divine and eternal warrior, riding out to consume, destroy, and lay waste the enemy. He's seeing wrath for sin. This is the wrath of God abiding on the sinful children of Adam. Verses 7 and 8, For we are brought to you an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. This is the God to whom all our hearts are open and from whom no wickedness is hidden. This is the God who sees the nakedness of the sin we desperately try to cover. And he's the God who is Yahweh, Yahweh, who by no means clears the guilty. And his wrath ends us like a sigh. This is worse news than James. At least James told us we're a vapor. Vapor makes it to the ceiling. You still see it. How long does a sigh last? A sigh is a breath. It's a heavy breath that's gone right away. Moses knows what he's doing here too. Remember, Moses is the one who wrote the and he died passage of Genesis 5. Genesis 5, remember, is the list of Adam's descendants, Seth, Jared, Methuselah, and the other ones. And they live hundreds of years, right? And except for Enoch, every single one of them ends the same exact way. It ends with the phrase, and he died. And now we're not even getting hundreds of years. We're getting 70 or 80. This is Moses showing us things have gone from bad to worse. Verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or if by reason of strength, 80. And I think that's just about the most sarcastic line I've ever read in Scripture. I don't know how many 80-year-olds you know, but I don't know many strong 80-year-olds. I've met one or two. It seems like if you work outside, right? The doctors love you if you work outside because you can keep yourself a little stronger. And modern medicine can even help you eke out an extra decade or two. But it's still going to end the same way. My wife doesn't like this joke, but uh, I always say I'm going to try and die biblically. I'm planning my heart attack for 70 because that's what the Bible says. But, <laughs> sorry, honey. We got 70 or 80 years, and maybe with medical tech, 90. But it's still going to be the story of your uncle telling you, don't hug great-grandma too hard. Grandpa hugged her hard, and it broke her ribs. And even if you manage to make it that long... The whole time it's the story of Adam, the ground is cursed for your sake. The rest of verse 10, yet their strength is but toil and trouble. 
They're soon gone. We fly away. Even while you're here, even while you're holding on to these few precious decades, toil and pain, veil of tears, cursed ground, broken life in a cursed and fallen world. You lose your hair before you're 30. And now we come to the scariest part of the chapter. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger, your wrath, according to the fear of you? And a better way to translate this question is like the King James, who knoweth the power of thine anger? Or the NASB, who understands the power of your anger? The answer in Moses' time to this question is nobody yet. God is terribly angry with sin committed against his supreme majesty. He'll punish him with the supreme penalty, eternal death, eternal condemnation, body and soul, now in eternity. Even after everything we've covered so far, everything that's been scary about this psalm, after the whole sad misery of our short lives, it's just a fraction of his judgment. The worst is yet to come. Beyond the grave, there's death everlasting for Adam's children. Everlasting wrath from the everlasting God. And no one on earth today has known it. Praise Yahweh, he doesn't leave us in tragedy. He does not let the story end there. He changes the ending in mercy. The God of Genesis saves us from Genesis through Genesis. As Moses sees Yahweh keeping the promise of Genesis 2, dying you shall die, he points us to the promise of Genesis 3 the head crusher, the bruised, healed head crusher. And that brings us to point three, everlasting salvation from the everlasting God. Verse 12 is the story of divine intervention. Verse 12 is the story of Yahweh saves his people by showing us our sin and misery to drive us to Christ. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That is Moses asking God to open our eyes and ears by the power of the Holy Spirit so we can see our fallen state and flee to Christ. And that's what he's getting at with the heart of wisdom. What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of Yahweh, says Proverbs. Who is the wisdom of God? Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God. Verse 12 is the answer to verse 11 because the answer to verse 11 is Jesus. Who has understood the full weight of God's wrath? Jesus has. No one among us has known and understood the full weight of God's wrath against sin, but God sent his son so that he could. And so as Yahweh teaches us to number our days, and as we see the fleeting nature of our lives, we cling to Christ, the wisdom of God. And as we see Yahweh keeping his promise to Adam in Genesis 2, we need to run to Christ and plead his promises to us in Genesis 3 that he's the head crusher, that Christ will come as the head crusher and has come as the head crusher to conquer sin and death and hell and the grave. Those who fear Yahweh and Christ have no need to fear his return. His return is no longer dreadful, certain doom. It's, it's salvation, like we saw this morning. Judgment now is only salvation for us. In Christ, your cry is return, O Yahweh, how long? Have pity on your servants. See, the relationship in verse 13 and 12 has changed. In Christ, you are Yahweh's and Yahweh is yours. 
And so that's why in verse 13, it's the first time we see God's covenant name. Yahweh is the God of this entire psalm, but if you look in your English Bibles, verse 13 is the first time that L-O-R-D gets capitalized. And that's important because this part of the psalm is a shift. The end of this psalm calls upon God, not just as the Lord of creation, but as the covenant God who's faithful to his people, who saves his people. In Christ, the Lord is Yahweh, the covenant God of his people, and he has pity on his servants. This is the cry of people who long for his return because we love his appearing, because we belong to him. In Christ, Yahweh's return is no longer something we dread. It's something we look forward to. In Christ, we can joyfully long for his return because we await as judge the very one who already offered himself as in, to the judgment of God in our place and removed the whole curse from us. And so with the saints of history in heaven, we can cry how long. And we can cry how long with confident expectation. How long till you return and forever kill off all your enemies and take me and all your chosen to the joy and glory of heaven? How long till you end the story? How long till the ending where everything goes wrong is, is actually made right? And all the conflict comes to an end happier than the beginning. How long is our cry of asking Yahweh to turn our mourning into dancing and our, com or our tragedy into comedy to change the ending? And it is our cry of hope. In Christ, God has delivered you believers from verse 11 and previous. In Christ, he has changed your ending. The ending for you is there is therefore now no condemnation. You're never going to know the full fury of God's wrath against sin because Christ has known it. In Christ, your death isn't death. As we read tonight, your death is no longer a punishment leading to more and worse punishment. It's a dying to sin and an entrance into eternal life. It's winning. It's victory. In Christ, the end of the story for you is the story of his return to satisfy you with his covenant love to you. You are going to live and be glad with him forever, world without end. And you are headed for life everlasting with Yahweh, the God of everlasting. And you're going to get more than verse 15 asks or imagines. You'll not be just or glad for just as many days as you've been afflicted. You'll be glad for infinitely more days. Yahweh promises through Paul that the sufferings of this present evil age are not worthy to be compared with the weight of glory that awaits us in Christ. God answers the prayer of Moses by giving us joy not just equal to our future sufferings, but surpassing it by giving us exceedingly more. You and I are going to live with God forever. And that's because in Christ, Yahweh the warrior has destroyed your death instead of destroying you. The last great enemy he'll destroy is your death, says Paul. Abram rejoiced to see Christ day from afar, but so did Moses. And they both look forward to Yahweh's return to pity us, to pity his servants. In Christ, Yahweh has returned to pity you and he has defeated your death. And in Christ, your death has died and you're going to trash talk your grave. You'll laugh at it and ask it where its sting is. Yahweh did not leave Christ pulverized in the grave, and he won't leave you there because you belong to second Adam. 
So how does the tragedy end in comedy? How does the ending end happier than the beginning? The answer is because in Christ, Yahweh is no longer against you. He is for you. He's no longer crushing you. He protects you. And your story ends with the punchline from this psalm. It ends with the eternal God most high as your dwelling place forever in Christ. It ends with Christ defeating your death so that you don't just have 70 or 80 or even hundreds of miserable years under the curse. You have the joy of life everlasting with Yahweh. You have it forever and ever. The God of Genesis saves you from Genesis through the promise of Genesis, the promise of Christ in Genesis. And in Christ, he's your dwelling place forever and ever. In Christ, God gives you all that verse 16 asks and more. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants, your glorious power to their children. Yahweh fulfills that promise to you in Christ. In Christ, he is a God to you and your children, and he has shown his power of salvation to, uh, to you and your children in his great and mighty work of sending Christ. In Christ, God has answered, answered verse 17. In Christ, God's favor and beauty shines on us, and we receive his grace. In Christ, he ends the curse for you, and he gives eternal blessing. That's how our psalm ends tonight. Our psalm ends with a prayer that has been answered and over-answered in Christ. It is a prayer to end the curse. The last line of our psalm here is, establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, this is a tricky phrase, but remember what this whole thing's been about. It's about the curse. In Genesis, part of the curse is a curse on work. It's a curse of fighting thorns and thistles, fighting the ground, battling the ground for a couple heads of wheat to make some pathetic bread. It's toil and sweat for bread that perishes. It's Ecclesiastes 2, the vanity of toil. But the curse on work is a part of the curse in general, and this whole psalm has been about the curse in general. What Moses is doing here by asking the curse to be lifted is he's asking for the whole of the curse to be overturned. By asking for part of the curse to be overturned, he's asking for the whole curse to go away. The SAT word for that is synecdoche. An example of that is when I go to your parking lot and I say nice wheels, I'm not talking about the rims or the tires, I'm talking about the car. When I asked my wife for her hand in marriage, she married me with all of her. And that's what's going on here. He's asking for part to get the whole. He's asking Yahweh to keep his promise, to save his people, to end the curse and to give them all that Adam lost. The psalm ends with the biggest ask of all, that Yahweh will send his Messiah to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And in Christ, Yahweh has answered verse 17. In Christ, Yahweh will pour out on you the blessings of new creation because he has established the work of Christ's hands. In Christ, Yahweh has not just put you back in the garden to work and to earn. In Christ, Yahweh has put you in New Jerusalem. You belong in new creation already because Christ has earned it and God has established it. You are headed for an imperishable inheritance of everything you were made for, living with God in eternal blessedness to the praise of his glory you are headed for the reward of the work that Christ has won and God has established. And you are headed for life everlasting with the everlasting God. 
So what's the comfort when we cry on birthdays? Who's the comfort in our headlong sprint to the grave? It's Christ Jesus, the wisdom of God. It's Yahweh, the God of redemptive history, who changes the end of our story from tragedy into comedy. It's the God of Genesis saving us from Genesis through Genesis. In Christ, your story is no longer the story of a crumpled body thrown in the ground after being withered and battered by the decades. It's I know I shall not be left forgotten in the grave because from corruption thou, O Lord, thy Holy One, wilt save. You belong to Jesus and you belong where he is. In Christ, the end of your story is resurrection and new life everlasting with Yahweh, your everlasting dwelling place. It is the story of a stingless death, a defeated grave that you trash talk because of the victory of Christ Jesus, our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for subscribing and listening to our podcast. We hope and pray that our sermons encourage you as you sojourn on your Christian walk. If you have any questions about our church, please contact our pastor through our webpage, urcbelgrade.com. That is urcbelgrade.com. We also have many sermon series archived and available for download on our website, urcbelgrade.com. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you.